the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around that celebrates the completion, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Now, the last couple of weeks, actually the last two weeks, I've been talking about divine providence and absolute surrender to divine providence. And I think I will continue that today for two reasons, at least two reasons. One is that I've been reading from a very excellent book called uh, Abandonment to Divine Providence by Father Jean-Pierre de Cossade that I can't recommend too highly. Uh, That's one reason. And the other reason is that some of us are rather concerned with what the near-term future might be holding. And it's always very, very important to stay focused on the fact that absolutely nothing happens that isn't the will of God, either his ordaining will or his permissive will. But nothing happens behind his back and nothing happens that he cannot control. And um, it sounds a little bit like, oh, it's a shame. But in fact, in fact, God sees things from the true perspective, which is that once we are conceived, we are going to live for all eternity. And the 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years on this earth between birth and death is not really a big deal in the light of eternity. And he arranges everything for the best possible eternity. And of course, he's very sensitive to our desire for happiness on earth, but he knows not to make that the end all and the be all, but rather to try to satisfy us with a happy life on earth, as long as it doesn't interfere with the real purpose for our creation, which is to be with him for all eternity in heaven. So um, that's why that's the other reason why I'm doing this, this topic today is that uh, there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of concern, obviously, about about the country in the near and medium term future and even the state of the world. So whatever happens, it's what God chooses to have happen. So let me um, kind of put in a little foundation before reading uh, Abandonment to Divine Providence. Let me start with St. Ignatius of Loyola what he calls his first principle and foundation. Because if we don't have this perspective, we we basically aren't standing on rock. This is really the rock we have to stand on. Man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save his soul. All other things on the face of the earth are created for man to help him fulfill the end for which he is created. From this it follows that man is to use these things to the extent that they will help him to attain his end. Likewise, he must rid himself of them insofar as they prevent him from attaining it. In other words, we are very privileged as Christians and especially as Catholics because we know the meaning of life. We know the one thing that really counts and the one thing that really counts is us getting to heaven and us helping others get to heaven. And 
if that's the one thing that really counts, I used to be an economist, that used to be called the objective function, the one function that you're trying to maximize. If that's what really counts, then it only stands to reason that anything else in this life is good to the extent that it helps us reach that end, and it is bad to the extent that it interferes with us reaching that end. Continuing with uh, St. Ignatius, Therefore, we must make ourselves indifferent to all created things, insofar as it is left to the choice of our free will and is not forbidden. Acting accordingly for our part, we should not prefer health to sickness, riches to poverty, honor to dishonor, a long life to a short one, and so in all things we should desire and choose only those things which will best help us attain the end for which we are created. On the one hand, this sounds profound, but on the other hand, it is the simplest possible logic, right? If the purpose of our life is to reach heaven, then the meaning of everything else is revealed in the light of whether it helps us reach heaven or hurts us from reaching heaven. And if, um, you know, if, if being rich will hurt us from reaching heaven, whereas being poor will help us, we should prefer to be poor. Similarly, if being sick, sickly, even dying of disease helps us get to heaven, whereas being healthy would impair, impede us from getting to heaven, we should prefer to be sick. Likewise, riches and poverty, likewise, honor and dishonor, likewise, a long life and a short life. And so in all things, we should desire and choose only those things which will best help us attain the end for which we are created. And that end is eternal bliss in heaven. And as uh, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila used to say, when we get to heaven, we will realize that the absolute worst life that anyone ever suffered on earth amounts to no more than a night in a bad motel. Only she said in a bad inn because she was talking in the 16th century. 15th, 16th century. So we really need that backdrop, um, especially um, especially if, um, I mean, we've, most of us are Americans. We've been very spoiled, let's face it. We have, uh, by and large, grown up and lived in probably, in many ways, the wealthiest, most peaceful, most luxurious country on earth, certainly in the top 10. And um, should that be drawing to a close, um, we should certainly work on uh, preparing ourselves for it by understanding the role of divine providence. So with that um, lengthy introduction uh, from St. Ignatius of Loyola, I am going to read from Abandonment uh, to Divine Providence or Absolute Surrender to Divine Providence. Uh, by Father Jean-Pierre de Caussade. I believe it's about 17th century, 18th century that it was written. No, it was 19th century, actually, originally published in 1887. Um, I assume that's the first uh, French edition. Okay. Um, by the way, before I <laughs> get on a roll... This is a live call-in program. The number here is 866-333-6279.
or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. So if you'd like to call in at any point with a comment or a question, um, you are more than welcome to do so. And about halfway through the show, I usually take a, a short musical break, which I will do today if, if uh, I can get the technology to work properly for that. And the, that break is always a very good time to call in because then coming out of the break, I just go to the call board rather than um, go back to the reading that I was doing. So, continuing with the reading. We are only truly instructed by the words which God pronounces expressly for us. It is neither by books nor curious research that we become learned in the science of God. These means of themselves give us but a vain knowledge, which only serves to confuse us and inflate us with pride. That which really instructs us is all that comes to us by the order of God from one moment to another. This is the knowledge of experience, which Christ himself was pleased to acquire before teaching. Now, this is a very beautiful thought, right? That, you know, we learn about God, we learn about life, we learn about what God wants from us, to some extent from our reading or from our study or studying the saints or whatever. But God is speaking to us in every moment. He's teaching us in every moment. And what is the vehicle? I mean, most of us don't have the pleasure of hearing him speak in our ears, right? Or receive visions. The normal mode for him to speak to us, to teach us, to instruct us, is the events of our lives, is what happens to us. That is his channel of communication. That is his 24-7, always open, always active channel of communication. So all of the events that come to meet us are God speaking to us, teaching us, training us, instructing us. If we go to the checkout line in the supermarket and we pick the shortest line, there's only one person in front of us, but she takes 25 minutes to count up the pennies in her purse while 10 people get through the line in every other line. That's not just bad luck. That's not bad luck at all. That's God instructing us about something, God teaching us about something. That's God communicating to us in the moment. Everything that happens to us is God communicating to us in the moment because God is absolutely sovereign and is in control of everything and is, is weaving together every moment of our lives. Now, let me take a little bit of a, a side road here, which is, it's very important to stay conscious that God is in control of everything that happens to us. He's not in control of what goes on between our two ears, what we imagine and what we're thinking and what we're fearing and so forth. That is actually not God speaking to us. God is in control of reality, but our imaginations we are free with and they're also subject to being inspired, influenced by the enemy of our salvation. So, for instance, just to go back to the supermarket example, you know, if we're being held up by the woman in front of us counting pennies, that is God's providence. If we lose our temper, that is not God's providence. That is something that's coming from us. If uh, it's in the best case, it's coming from us. 
in the worst case, it's actually not even coming from us, but it's coming from, you know, the enemy. And if we start, let's say, imagining, so to speak, we're standing, you know, we're standing in that line, we're in a hurry, and we're waiting for this lady to count 2,500 pennies out or whatever. And we start thinking, what a stupid idiot. She shouldn't be taking up space on this earth. You know, why, why hasn't her husband killed her long since or whatever? That's, that stuff's not coming from God. And it might not even be coming from us. It might be coming from the enemy whispering in our ear. So this entire discussion of everything that happens to us coming from God is restricted to what's actually happening in the world because God is, God runs the world. He doesn't run our imaginations. Okay, back to the text. We only know perfectly that which we have learned by experience through suffering and action. This is the school of the Holy Spirit who utters the words of life to the heart and all that we say to others should come from this source. Okay, isn't that beautiful? We only know perfectly that which we have learned by experience through suffering and action. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. That is how God is teaching us. It is through, it's through what we experience from moment to moment. Without this learning, without this science, all our learning is like unleavened dough lacking the salt and seasoning of experience. The mind is filled with crude, unfledged ideas, and we are like the dreamer who, knowing all the highways of the world, misses the path to his own home. Because the events of our lives, God is speaking directly to us. He's speaking directly to, you know, Jane Smith or Paul Williams or, you know, he's speaking to you and it's being constructed, it's being sculpted for you, for you specifically, for the purpose of instructing you. It's, it's God's most perfect means of instructing us and teaching us. Um, Heed not what is said to others, listen only to what is uttered for you and to you. You will find in it sufficient to exercise your faith, for this hidden language of God, by its very obscurity, exercises, purifies, and increases your faith. Needless to say, that if one learns to live this way, one is living in a way in which is continually building our faith. Um, and also, by the way, it's actually the it's actually the antidote to anxiety and fear, right? If we can accept everything that happens as being God's choice for what He chooses to have happen, because He has our own long-term good in mind, then there is in fact never any ground for anxiety or fear. Uh, continuing with the reading. The revelation of the present moment is an inexhaustible source of sanctity. O oh, all ye who thirst, know that you have not far to seek for the fountain of living waters. It springs close to you in the present moment. Hasten then to approach it. Why, with the source so near, do you weary yourselves running after shallow streams, which only excite your thirst and give you to drink in small measure? The source alone can satisfy you. It is inexhaustible. If you would think, write, and live like the prophets, apostles, and saints, abandon yourselves like them to divine inspiration. 
from the earliest ages had the saints other secrets of holiness than that of becoming from moment to moment what the divine action would make them. And will not this action, even to the end of time, continue to pour its grace upon those who abandon themselves to it without reserve? Yes, adorable eternal love, love eternally fruitful and always marvelous, will of my God, you are my book, my doctrine, my science. In you are my thoughts, my words, my deeds, my crosses. Not by consulting your other works can I become what you would make me, but only by receiving you through all things in that one royal way of self-abandonment to thy will, that ancient way, that way of my fathers. I will think, speak, and be enlightened like them, following them, following in this way, I will imitate them, quote them, copy them in all things. So the author is pointing out that this is basically the one and only way to grow in holiness, that this is the secret of holiness practiced by the saints throughout the centuries. Through all things, it is the one royal way of self-abandonment to your will that ancient way, that way of my fathers. Let me um, make another uh, little digression, which is very important if you actually try to practice this. It's very important in, in the days we're living in, if in fact we're, we're looking forward to um, difficult times, which is, um, it may seem to be a paradox. On the one hand, everything that happens is... God's will, and we should abandon ourselves to his will in every moment. Does that mean that we should not pray? Should we, we should not make prayers of intercession. We should not pray that, just to pull an example out of the air, that we continue to live in a free country rather than under the thumb of communist China, that we continue to own our own property and live our own lives rather than being shipped off to a gulag essentially, of a work camp or concentration camp or re-education camp? Should we not make those prayers because whatever happens is God's will and therefore we should just abandon ourselves to God's will? So I hope you can see the, the, the kind of contradiction that's presented here or apparent contradiction, apparent paradox. And fortunately, fortunately, we have God become man to show us the way out of this apparent paradox because we have the perfect example of Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. All, I, all of our prayer should take the form of Jesus's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in the sense that, you know, please God, let this cup pass from me, but nonetheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So Jesus himself has given us the example to follow, that we are perfectly allowed to pray for the outcome we want. We are perfectly allowed to pray to be spared suffering. However, that prayer should be made in the context of nonetheless not my will but thy will be done. But if it was good enough for Jesus, so to speak, it's good enough for us. In other words, God is not asking us not to pray to be spared suffering at all. He's not asking us that, that. All he's asking us 
is to basically accept the outcome should he know best for us and send us the suffering anyway. Um, anyway, back to um, back to the uh, to the book Abandonment to Divine Providence. Oh, I, another. Okay, the present moment is the manifestation of the name of God and the coming of his kingdom. The present moment is like an ambassador which declares the will of God. The heart must ever answer fiat, that is, let it be done to me according to thy will, and the soul will go steadily on by means of all things to her center and to her term, never pausing in her course, spreading her sails to all winds, all ways, all methods, equally further her progress toward the great, the infinite. All things afford her equal means of sanctification. The one only essential the soul finds in the present moment. It is no longer either prayer or silence, retirement or conversation, reading or writing, reflections or cessation of thought, avoidance or seeking of spiritualities, abundance or privation, illness or health, life or death, but simply what comes to her each moment by the order of God. In this consists that privation, abnegation, renouncement of all created things, whether real or in will, in order that a soul may be nothing of herself or for herself, but live wholly by the order of God, and at his good pleasure content herself with the duty of the present moment, as though it were the one thing in the world. Let me um, let me talk about this a little bit. You know, those of us who read the saints, you know, read St. John of the Cross or Teresa of Avila or, or the Little Flower or whatever, and we read about these saints who basically give up everything, give up all comfort, um, you know, live in... in very strict poverty, never sleep through the night, perhaps, never eat their fill, never have any comforts, never, you know, have any heat in the winter, and so forth. And, you know, they they renounce all these comforts, they renounce all these luxuries, they renounce, in some sense, even these essentials. And we say, well, there's no chance for holiness for me, because I certainly could not mortify myself like they are. Well, the truth is, we don't have to mortify ourselves like they do. We only have to perform one single mortification, which is to accept what God sends us. Right? That's it. That's it. That's what he's saying here. All, I mean, all these other mortifications are, to some extent, beside the point. Certainly beside the point for people who are seeking holiness in the world. Um, let me reread, in that light, let me reread this paragraph. The present moment is like an ambassador which declares the will of God. The heart must ever answer fiat, let it be done according to thy will, and the soul will go steadily on by means of all things, never pausing in her course, spreading her sails to all winds, all ways, all methods, equally further her progress toward the great, the infinite, towards God, towards perfection. All things afford her equal means of sanctification. 
the one only essential thing the soul finds in the present moment, right? Because that's what God is sending us for the present moment for our training. So the soul no longer needs prayer or silence, no longer needs retirement or conversation, reading or writing, reflections or sensation of thought, right? Isn't that a temptation? Isn't that easy to think, oh, if only I had more peace and quiet in my life, then I could, you know, pray better and and, uh, grow closer to God. If only I didn't have, you know, to respond to these screaming children, I could, you know, I could uh, have much more fruitful time, you know, growing in my relationship to God and so forth. But it is no longer any of these things. It's no longer either prayer or silence, retirement or conversation, reading or writing, reflections or cessation of thought, avoidance or seeking of spiritualities, abundance or privation, illness or health, life or death, but simply what comes to the soul each moment by the order of God. That is the only thing we need for our sanctification, and that is exactly what we need for our sanctification. In this consists that privation, abnegation, renouncement of created things in order that a soul may be nothing of herself or for herself, but live wholly by the order of God. In other words, in accepting what God sends us every moment, that is the ultimate renouncement of created things, right? Because we're renouncing our will in all created things. We're renouncing our will in favor of what God chooses to send us. So that is the purest form, I would say, of renouncement of all created things for God. Um, And at his good pleasure, the soul contents herself with the duty of the present moment as though it were the one thing in the world. And that is the case, even if the duty of the present moment appears to be something which takes us away from God. For instance, the duty might be doing something noisy. The duty might be taking care of screaming kids. The duty might be, you know, sweeping out the garage, whatever. Something that doesn't seem to have anything to do with bringing us closer to God. If that is what God sends us as our duty, that is what uh, is our path of holiness at that moment. Now, I see that I've come almost to the halfway point in this program already. And so I, before I continue reading, I will go to a short musical break, assuming that, again, uh, the technology works. And if not, um, you'll have a very short break of silence and then I'll jump back in. But I think we'll have a very nice song for a couple of minutes. And in the meantime, or when I come back, I'll check the call board. Are there any calls? Uh, this is a live show. You're listening to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism. With me, your host, Roy Showman on Radio Maria. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And I will be back in a few moments. Whoops. Uh, uh, one, one moment while I cue up the music.
Well, I'm back, and as far as I can tell, no calls came in. I'm sure the um, producer will will interrupt me if, in fact, a call has come in or does come in. Uh, you're listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria, and we have been um, spending today talking about divine providence and what God sends us in the present moment as being as being our path to sanctification and the ultimate form of worship is accepting and loving what God sends us at every moment. So, um, I wonder if I remember the quote properly. Uh, St. Francis de Sales, uh, who was known as the saint maker because he gave such good spiritual direction, um, he said, not all of us are capable of the great mortifications of the saints, um, you know, uh, sleeping sleeping on the ground all the time uh, with a rock for a pillow and eating one meal every three days and, um, and uh, flagellating ourselves and so forth. But all of us are capable of the following. Never complaining about the weather, never complaining about the food, and never complaining about our aches and pains. I think you have a call. Oh, okay. Well, there's a call. Uh, I didn't see it on the call board, but that may be my bad. Um, so, what's your name, caller, and where are you calling from? Um, it's Greg Lou, and I'm in Simi Valley, California. Okay. Did you have a question or a comment? I had a question, uh, and it's a little off target, but I'm just curious. Um, prior to your uh, vision and conversion, did you have any particular political inclination, or were you politically agnostic? Um, uh, how about depraved, actually? I, remem <laughs> I remember um, the night that Reagan got elected was like, I was in total despair, total despair, walking the streets in the rain like this is the end of the world. You know, he's going to make abortion illegal, whatever. So... I was, you know, I was a Harvard, um, well, I was a Harvard student and there was a Harvard professor. I was, I was completely in that, you know, New York Times, Boston Globe, liberal, um, you know, the, the silent, what was the phrase at the time? The silent majority is neither. So anyway, that was my political inclination. So, so there's hope for relative to our kind of in that middle ground right now that I'm talking to, I suppose. That's, I guess that was my, the, the reason I asked the question. Um, like, am I going to waste time talking to them, or am I going to be able to maybe open their eyes to... They're, they're, they're Catholic, and they attend Mass regularly, but they seem to be more on the other side of the spectrum to me, so... Yeah. Um, I, you know, I wish I, wish I could uh, give you some s sensible advice, but the problem is that I don't understand, <laughs> I don't understand Catholics who don't take it seriously, to tell the truth. I don't understand Catholics who don't take the faith seriously, because it seems to me that if it's true, it's the most important thing in the world, and if it's not true, it's a waste of time. There's no middle ground, so, mm. so, you know, I, I actually can't think, feel my way into, you know, a kind of a liberal Catholic. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your response and appreciate your show. Thank thanks, you. and thanks for listening.
um, uh, yeah, certainly, you know, certainly love them, certainly evangelize them, certainly let them know um, how seriously you take God and how seriously you take morality. Um, and uh, that may be the best you can do is, is make them like stop and think a little bit because they know you're not crazy and they know you're a nice guy and yet you take this stuff really seriously. All right, well, thank you. Sure thing. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Well, back to uh, Divine Providence and it looks like my call... You have another call. Oh, I have another call. Okay, good. I'm sorry, my call board's not working, so I'm going to be dependent on the... Um, uh, on the producer. Uh, okay, well, what's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, yeah, I'm Mary Fatakis and I'm calling from the land of Lincoln, Illinois. Okay. <laughs> so I'm in a blue state and I'm not blue. <laughs> All right. And I have a question about the present moment and what we're going through right now with the mask, you know, with the mask mandates. Yeah. If I'm in a grocery store or somewhere else in another store, and, um, you know, I hear good Catholic people telling us to push back a little, you know, just so you're not losing your freedom completely to not wear the mask every time you run and get milk or uh, grocery store trips, sometimes short ones. And if somebody like a manager, I don't know if it has to be a customer or manager, they say, uh, please put your mask back on. See, I'm one of those people that always grew up like, you know, you tell me to jump and I say how high, <laughs> you know, with everybody. I mean strangers, anything. I just always was very obedient in my home, too. And so what do I do in that circumstance? Do I have a right to say, no, I'm just going to leave it off until I leave the store? What what, what would one do to, to be with God? If God brings that to you, that situation, then what do we do? Do we Are we being disobedient if we don't put the mask back on? <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> I would say, first of all, that um uh i don't think you're I, I don't think there is any sin involved in taking the path of least resistance if there's no sin involved so to speak i mean we know what sins are and wearing a mask is not per se a sin so mm -hmm. uh I, I can tell you what i do which is um mm -hmm. i basically i just don't want to go through the day in a series of fights you know, so I do the minimum necessary to keep from getting into getting harassed, basically, because it doesn't mm -hmm, seem to be mm -hmm, worth the effort. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. the uh, I don't think I don't think that you're sinning either way, to tell the truth. I don't think I mean, I mean if you feel called to um, throw a little sand in the gears by saying, um, are you saying I have to leave the store if I don't put on my mask, then. Mm -hmm. You know, and and then he says, yes, I'm afraid you'll have to. And then you leave the store. You know, that's in a way mm -hmm. that's a good thing to do, too, because it it, um, you know, it expresses a little resistance. It puts a little sand in the gears. If you don't want to do that, mm -hmm. that's a fine thing to do, too. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I, um, uh, you know, it varies from state to state, but um you know, I personally think that, oh gosh, I'm going to get in trouble. I personally think that if one said, I'm, a, I'm afraid I have a medical condition that dictates against my wearing a mask, um, mm -hmm. I actually think that that is not a lie. 
we all have a medical mm -hmm. condition that dictates against wearing a mask. We need mm -hmm. oxygen. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's another alternative is to... Because um, I have chronic bronchitis. Like I have chronic bronchitis and that might cause it to keep yeah. me breathing my own air, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's unhealthy. Sure. It's actually unhealthy for everybody. So, I mean, that's another path one could take. And, uh, you know, then the manager says, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, actually, it works either, both ways. I mean, because I know people who do this. And sometimes the manager says, oh, well, then excuse me, then you don't have to, but please don't get too close to other people. Or sometimes they say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but, um, you know, that's, you know, that's not sufficient excuse. Most of the time, actually, they, they back off and they say... Um, and, and am I wrong to say if they try to give me the vaccine, which I do not want to take any under circumstances, I have lots of health issues, but I will not take it because I'm very pro-life. I've been in the pro-life movement for over 10 years. Um, you know, I know about everything, David Delight and everything. I know all of this going on, and I will not take the vaccine. Can I say no, and then if they have to tie me down to do it, then, of course, I can't control that, but I have a, do I have a right to say, no, this is wrong, and I'm not going to succumb to it, so do whatever you want, you know? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. That's well, I certainly, I, I, that's yeah. what I expect to do. I mean, I expect to um, yeah. refuse um Basically, even at the cost, not that it's a huge cost, but even at the cost of being banned from all air travel or something, which mm -hmm. I think right. is... I don't is, travel anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't have I the do. money. <laughs> I do. Okay, so that makes it easy, right? But, you know, they may mandate it. In other yeah. words, it doesn't make a difference. You won't go to... You, they say you... Some people are saying you won't be able to get food. Not There's a lot of stuff going around. But they're saying, well, they may not let you buy groceries. <laughs> you don't think well, it's that I, bad. Let me, then, let me bring this to the topic of the show because it's actually a great illustration. <laughs> which is mm -hmm. part of um, part of being responsive to the present moment and seeing God's action in the present moment is to, as a very holy priest and abbot used as a motto, is to have an iron curtain over the past and an iron curtain over the future. Okay? Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's mm -hmm. probably not a good idea to to dwell on what you would do in the future in oh. a situation oh. which you're not facing yet. Mm -hmm. I got said you, that, I got right? you, because then I'm, I'm worried, I'm too stressed out about what might happen. But, but since we're in a question show, and I want to be ready for that and, and, and pray about no. it, you know what I'm saying? Well, pray, you pray that, you know, whatever happens, you do the right thing. But look at what Jesus <laughs> yeah, said, that's right? What, he said, that's what I mean. <laughs> he said, okay, well, you thank know, you. I'll send the Holy Bye. Spirit don't think beforehand about what you will say. I'll give you the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit mm -hmm. in the moment. You're, you're, you're really playing into the devil's playground if you invest anxiety or fear about something that hasn't happened yet, something in the future. Because mm -hmm. uh, God mm -hmm. is not in control of what your imagination. He's only in control of what he allows to happen mm -hmm. to you. Okay. Well, I don't think about it every day, but I did have a question, like, as if I could be ready for that time, you know, probably not going to ever be ready for something like that, you know. You know, you always think you know what you're going to do, but then you do something different, right? So, That's because God yeah, is only in the present. God is only in the present. Yeah. Yeah, I've read a long time ago, I, I'm an oblate of St. believe it or not, I'm an oblate, believe it or not, of uh, an, um, a, a Benedictine Academy. I've read, uh, I had a spiritual director who was a very holy monk, uh, for 10 years, and I read uh, um, Lahoti, uh, his book on uh, abandonment to divine, divine providence, and I probably should read it again, <laughs> and again, and again, or I would probably might want to read Dikasad's this time, but um, yeah, it's just, 
difficult, you know, it's difficult, uh, you know, situation I live in and difficult for everybody in their situations in different ways. Okay, well, thank you so much for your answer. Well, thanks for your call. Uh, and um, I'm sorry I have to do this, but I assume there are, are, are there are no other calls in the studio? There's another call. Okay, well, shoot. What's your name? You don't have to give your last name, by the way, but just something I can refer you to. And where are you calling from? Where the call dropped. Okay. Okay. Um, then I'll go back to reading, but uh, feel free to interrupt if, uh, if another call comes in. Uh, I don't see it on the chat stream. I don't know uh, on the, uh, you know, on our, on our chat board. I don't know why. Um, okay. If whatsoever comes to a soul thus self-abandoned is her one is her one essential, we see clearly that she lacks nothing and therefore should never complain that if she murmurs, she lacks faith and lives by reason and the senses alone, which failing to recognize the sufficiency of grace are ever discontented. That's a rather complicated sentence, but I think that what it means is that the grace of the moment is always sufficient for the moment. But but um, thinking ahead or thinking past will will result in a kind of continuing murmur and anxiety and lack of faith. To bless the name of God according to the expression of the scriptures is to love him, adore him, and recognize his holiness in all things. In fact, all things like words proceed from the mouth of God. The events of each moment are divine thoughts expressed by created objects. Thus, all things which intimate his will to us are so many names, so many words, by which he manifests his desires. I think that this is, uh, in some sense, a uh, uh, repetition. Um, in a positive sense, is a repetition of what um, the author was saying earlier which is that, you know, we all go through life wishing that God would speak to us, right? And um, most of us, God doesn't speak to us in words. But in fact, the events of each moment are words proceeding from the mouth of God. That is the normal way for God the caller to is back. speak to us. Okay, well, uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, Roy, this is Calatina, and I'm calling from Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, hi, I know the name. Uh, did you have a question or a comment? I do. I'm I'm Greek Orthodox, and for the last uh, few years now, I've been um, I've been watching EWTN with Mother Angelica, and um, I was wondering what's the difference, and um, not the difference. Like, why did did we split up the, the schism? Okay, well. You know, I'm not speaking with any authority. In other words, um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy to tell you my understanding, but I'm happy to find out that uh, other people have better understandings. But, you know, I think it's a little bit, in a way, um, it's basically, um, it was fallen human nature, that it was fallen human nature, that it had to do mm -hmm. more than anything else with 
uh, kind of like a turf war and who got to make decisions and who got to retain property and so forth. And so I don't think that it was actually uh, theological. I mean, it wasn't really derived coming down from God and how to serve God. It was really men acting like men, um, contesting with each other about things having to do with fallen uh-huh. human nature. I was told before from others that it had to do with um, the Our Father. No, not the Our Father. The the, um, the glory, the the, the Holy Spirit. Whether the Holy Spirit comes from um, yes, just um, God the see. Father, or whether the Holy Spirit emanates from God the Father and from the Creed, correct from the Creed. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was told, and um, and then what you just said makes sense too. But I was just curious. Yeah. I see. the The, the thing is that, of course, of course, I was like, "When are you going to become Catholic?" Well, first of all, I would say don't worry about it too much because uh, you you have the true sacraments, and um, the Eastern Orthodox Church is is considered completely legitimate by the Catholic Church, right? Yeah. So don't tie yourself in a knot about it. But I think that, uh, of course. You know, of course, if they're two parties and let's say they both want to, you know, run, run a part of the world, they're not going to say, you know, if they're, if they're two religious groups, they're not going to say, you know, I want to be king. No, I want to be king. They're going to say, yeah, it's because you have this, this line in the creed wrong. No, it's you who have the wrong line, wrong yeah. line in the creed, if you know what I mean. So I think that's more of a rationalization for something that was actually motivated by um, fallen human nature. But I could be wrong. And and I, I think that what I'm saying is actually probably shows a little bit of um, that I was catechized in the Catholic side, not in the Greek side, so to speak. Um, yes. Because uh, I, know, I know that... I was wondering if I'm doing something wrong, but I feel like, you know, when I go to confession and I speak to my priest, and I, he'll say to me, like, what do you do for prayer? And I'll say, well, I read, and then I also do, like, the Holy Rosary. I'm like, is that wrong? And he's like, no, no, of course not, because, you know, we believe in the Theotokos, with, you know, um, Holy Mother of God, and it's similar to, you know, the Holy Rosary, when we say it in Greek, but you guys say it a little bit different, but he says it's the same thing. Uh, but I love like listening to you, and I love doing the rosary with you. Um, I was just wondering, like, if I could get a different answer of why there was a schism. Since you're, um, I I can recommend a book which might help you, which is Father John Harden's book. Uh, it's, it's I think the title of the book is just his catechism. Um, and you could, I mean, there, there, there are good websites and, and so forth, uh, catholic.com. But my take on it is that it was a turf war about 900 years ago. And look, I mean, uh-huh. frankly, you know, I'm a little bit cynical. Um, you see it all the time. You see it even, you see it even within the Catholic Church, turf wars, you know, whether, uh-huh. you know, whether a decision, you know, that comes from the Vatican, whether a, a national council of bishops is going to, you know, kind of 
dig their heels in or whether they're going to go along with the command coming down from the Vatican. Um, you know, speaking mm -hmm. as a man, you know, men have a lot of fallen human nature in them. I love to see um, our ecumenical Bartholomew when he comes to the Vatican and they're talking with the Pope, and I'm always thinking, okay, this is where they're going to unite. But it just never seems it's going to happen. Yes. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a good question, but I, you know, my... My number one advice to you is is not to worry too much about it, not to... I think that the okay. advice your priest is giving you is very good, which is kind of like, relax, yeah. it's all okay. Yes, he's like, it's all okay. Yeah, and, and by the way, don't forget you, the Lord. enemy. Don't forget the enemy's always involved. Uh, in other words, and, and he's know. always putting thoughts in your head, and he'd be much happier having you worry about whether you should be Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, than just having you pray. Right. I enjoy our prayer. Thank you so much for your work for us, Roy. Oh well, thanks. Thanks for thanks for you know participating. So thank you. Uh, thanks. Okay. Well, um, I'll ask the studio. Uh, that, that's the last call. Yes, that's the okay, last. Great. So I'll, I'll go back to reading and I probably don't have much time for more calls. So I'll just, um, I guess, uh, go back to and, and finish what I was uh, reading um, and talking about, actually, which was that the events of each moment are divine thoughts expressed by created objects. Um, thus, all things which communicate to us his will are essentially him speaking to us through which he manifests his desires. To sanctify the name of God is to study, adore, and love the ineffable being whom this name represents. It is also to study, adore, and love his blessed will at all times, in all its effects, regarding all things as so many veils, shadows, names of this eternally holy will. It is holy in all its works, holy in all its words, holy in all its forms of manifestation, holy in all the names it bears. Now, it doesn't take too much thinking to see why, why this makes sense and why, in some sense, God has to do things this way. Because um, it's easy... It's easy to kiss the hand of God. It's easy to love divine providence. It's easy to love what God is doing for us when it's what we happen to also want to have happen to us. Um, it doesn't show abandonment to the divine will. It doesn't show actually faith in God's love, in his goodness, in his power, if, if it's what we want anyway. It's when it's what we don't want that our uh, worshiping his will, our accepting his will, uh, our kissing the hand, so to speak, that delivers the blow, that is when we show our genuine faith in, our, um, in God's love, in his goodness, in his sovereignty, and we also show our acceptance of his will. In other words, not my will, but thy will be done. It's how we show our fiat. Let it be done to us according to thy will. So um, it is uh, always a challenge 
when it is what we don't want and what the flesh recoils at. But, you know, everything about Christianity in some sense sounds corny when you say it out loud, right? Jesus said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, right? He showed us the way. He showed us the way. And it is uh, the only way. And the cross that we have to take up to follow Jesus is shown to us in what comes to meet us in the circumstances of our life. And, you know, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, right, with his, with his hands in the cross pieces and his feet, you know, to the vertical piece and absolutely immobile, that is how we end up being in the events of our life, so to speak. In other words, at a certain point, we can do nothing. We are completely surrendered. We are completely immobilized nailed to God's will. And if at that point we can say, nonetheless, not my will, but thy will be done, then we are really, truly following Jesus. So um, with that, I have come to pretty much the end of my hour. I want to thank you for listening. I want to invite you to listen again next week, same place, same time, to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. And uh, I hope uh, I will probably get more back to the theme of the show, which has more to do with Judaism next week. I've been a little bit remiss the last three weeks because of the circumstances that have uh, launched themselves at us this last three weeks. So as uh, Padre Pio says, said, still says, because he's more alive than ever, right? Pray, hope, and don't worry. Um, And... We can live in total confidence that nothing happens to us that God is unaware of. Nothing happens to us that God doesn't know is the best thing that could possibly happen to us. And of course, God knows that the point isn't this 80 years on earth. The point is our eternal happiness, glorifying and loving God, and the eternal happiness and glorification of God by as many other human souls as possible. And that's really the stakes. That's really the chips on the poker table. And God knows that, and we have to continually remind ourselves of that. So with that, I sign off, and um, I'll put back on that lovely children singing uh, the Hail Mary in French. Uh, There are sweet, innocent voices, and at some point I'm sure that... um, that the studio will then take over and uh, lead you on to the next show. So thank you for listening. Please listen again next week. Uh, Bye for now. Je vous salue, Marie, comblée de grâce.